And let me invite you to take your Bibles and let's turn to Judges chapter number 4. Judges chapter number 4. Now, we've seen that the book of Judges is not much of a feel-good book. I mean, it just isn't. How can you feel good about folks who are God's chosen people getting the same lame cycle time and time again of sin and its consequences. It's really kind of sad if you think about it, but there's plenty for us to learn from this book. And so we continue where we left off last time. If you remember, we saw the first cycle in Judges 3 verses 1 through 11 as the Lord raised up Othniel uh, to uh, deliver Israel from the king of Mesopotamia. Then we saw last week the second cycle in Judges 3, verses 14 to 30, as the Lord raised up Ehud to deliver Israel from uh, the big king, the fat king, Eglon, king of Moab. And we saw how as a part of that cycle, just one verse, the very last verse of chapter 3, uh, mentions how Shamgar was used to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Now, from my understanding from reading uh, this is that uh, the the area of Eglon was a kind of a northern eastern area, and the the uh, uh, Philistines was it like a southern western area. Um, so it was a, sectioned off there of who was being affected by what. But God used Shamgar there uh, to slay of the Philistines six hundred men with an ox goad. He was he's. He delivered Israel from that. Now, tonight we pick up in Judges 4, verse 1. We see the third cycle. In the first 24, there's all all 24 verses here talk about this. We're only going to be dealing tonight with the first nine verses. This is just the first part of this message. We see this is the cycle continues, part number three. God raises up Deborah and Barak. And um, we see... Uh, in, the, in the chapter 4 uh, here, the, as the Lord elevates and uses a couple of women here because of the failure of men to step up and be men. It's sad when that happens. It just uh, kind of brings to mind to me 1 Corinthians 16, 13 that says this, says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. In other words, act like a man. That's what, the, what Paul told the Corinthian men. And uh, it's kind of like you, uh, some of these men, we will see even Barak, <laughs> he was hesitant to do what the Lord wanted him to do. Um, but if, uh, if Deborah would go with him, he'd, he'd go. But if she wasn't going to go with him, he wasn't going to go. That's not a way to be, is it? <laughs> it's just not. Anyway, in the chapter before, we'll see Two women who were used by the Lord in great ways for His glory. Uh, we're, uh, we're only going to see one of those tonight. The two women that we're going to meet are Deborah and J.L. Uh, one became a respected leader, a judge in the nation of Israel. And both of them were housewives. I mean, the other might be described as a simple housewife, although there's nothing simple about being a housewife. I can tell you that. Uh, see my wife. Uh, uh, doing the work of a housewife and it's uh, there's a lot to it. Um, thank God for all the simple housewives, especially ones that touch my life. 
both my grandmothers were housewives. My mom was a housewife, and my wife's a housewife as well. And the world could use a lot more virtuous women, both wives and mothers, as described in Proverbs 31. But we're not going to go there tonight. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, describe the virtuous woman, talk about her motherhood uh, there also. But uh, this is not Mother's Day, and that's not my, that's not what I want to do tonight. But these two women came from different walks of life, but they were both used by the Lord in remarkable ways. And since we're studying uh, the, the judges of Israel, we we're going to focus most of our attention on Deborah as we considered the passage before us. So we're going to stick uh, with the same outline as we looked at in uh, cycle number three. And say, why the same outline? Because it's the same cycle that they go through. The first part of the cycle, we see Israel's sin. Israel's sin there in verse number one. They get chapter four, verse one. And the children of Israel again. <laughs> you see that word again? <laughs> Not the first time, is it? The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. Now, in the words of the uh, of the late Yogi Berra, it's like deja vu all over again. Man, I always like that saying of his. It's like deja vu all over again. Uh, or we could say it's the same old song, it's just a different verse. That's all we're looking at here. Okay, We saw when we left off last week that the Lord used Ehud, the judge, to deliver Israel from Eglon and the Moabites. And Scripture says that the land had rest for 80 years. Good long time, 80 years. In chapter, that's chapter number 3 and uh, the verse 30. Uh, so four score years, 80 years. As long as Ehud lived and judged the nation, the people followed the Lord and served him. But when Ehud died, the people returned to their sinful ways. And we're told that they again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and Judges 5, which Judges 5 is connected with this too, it's a, this, uh, the, uh, Deborah and Barak sing, sing a song there. And some of the things we learn about uh, uh, what happened there in chapter 4 are told to us in chapter number 5. In Judges 5, 8, we're further told that they, Israel chose, chose new gods. Look at verse 8. They chose new gods... Then was war in the gates, and there was, was there a shield or a spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? And the, and the answer to that was, you know, kind of lacking in the, in the things that, uh, that you really need to carry out a war. Now, the, uh, the people of Israel did not learn from what had happened in the two previous cycles. Once again, they turned their back on the Lord who had redeemed them and brought them into the promised land and got them established in the land. They turned their back on him and began following the gods of the Canaanites. And the reason why they followed the gods of the Canaanites is the gods of the Canaanites more appealed to their flesh. And so they kind of liked them better, even though they weren't really gods. They forsook the Lord who had chosen them for these gods of their own choosing. They chose these other gods instead of the, God, the Lord God that chose them. Anytime one walks away from the Lord and joins himself to anything other than the Lord, there comes a spiritual void in their lives. 
Israel no longer had Ehud to direct them, to guide them, to give them the truth, and so they wandered from the way. And sadly, the children of Israel picture what we see all too often in many churches in our day and time. Some people follow the Lord for a while, but then something causes them to drift away from the Lord. They end up turning away from the Lord and go their own way, and then things don't go well for them, and they want to blame the Lord for their consequences. <laughs> Why is the Lord letting this happen to me? Well, have you thought about how you're living? Have you thought about how you're not being as faithful as you, you, you should be? Maybe you're in your attendance or in your giving. Uh, something uh, that causes them to drift might be the death or some other event that removes a special loved one. I've seen when a pastor dies, goes off the scene. I've seen when uh, uh, people began to scatter. Uh, a pastor, or a it can be a pastor, it might be a teacher, it might be a parent or a grandparent or some other influential person that's in a person's life. And it's sad when one's foundation for their faith is someone or something other than the Lord. <laughs> I mean, we ought to be solidified in the Lord. Uh, there's been a couple of times when some people that uh, I had looked up to let me down. And, you know, one was a pastor, one was a Sunday school teacher. And, uh, you know, they were a great influence on me when I was young. And then they took a, a turn. Well, that didn't cause me to turn, you know. Just because you see someone turn away from the Lord and get away from the Lord doesn't give you the right to say, well, they did it, I guess I'll do it. We're not to do that. We're, we're, to, we're, to, we're to stay faithful and uh, um, praise the Lord that uh, He gave me the ability not to be drawn away uh, in um, some of the things that uh, I've been able to see over the years. Now, um, sometimes it happens when a preacher leaves a church. Some folks will quit on the Lord and their faithfulness to Him. It shouldn't be that way. Our faith should be in the Lord who gave himself for us and saved us, not in any man. Uh, we should determine to live close to the Lord and be just as clean regardless of who is removed from our lives. Let's not lose our focus on the Lord. You know, that's where our focus is to be at. According to Hebrews 12, verse number 1 through 3, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about that Hall of Faith chapter that came right before it, you know, those folks uh, witnessed, uh, they, they gave witness to the fact that faith in the Lord is what you need in your life. And we by faith they did this, by faith they did that. I mean, it's all through that faith chapter. He said, uh, we're compassed about those folks that are a great cloud of witnesses. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And it says, in verse 2, looking unto Jesus. That word looking unto, the word looking unto means focusing on Jesus. Focusing on Him. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him. We're to focus on Jesus and consider Him. Consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Remember, you know, he was oppressed. He was uh, 
the, the, the Pharisees had it in for him from the very beginning. He could have just, you know, uh, you know, from a human standpoint, threw up his hand and said, "I ain't, I ain't doing this." You know, they don't want to. They don't want to. Uh, uh, me to do right with them. I'm just not going to do this. That's not the way our Jesus was, and we're not to be that way either. Jesus is. Uh, uh, he he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself, and we're to consider that lest we be weird and faint in our minds. Second thing we see: not only do we see the the sin, uh, but we see the suffering and servitude in verse number two. Uh, says, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera. Now Sisera's going to be mentioned through here quite a bit, and he'll come into play a little bit later. Um, but he was the one that, that had the, the, was the captain of the host of Jabin. Jabin's the king. Uh, host of Sisera, which dwelt in Harasheth of the Gentiles. Um, let's go ahead and read verse 3. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. That last part is what I want you to get. 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So we see the suffering and servitude. When, when Israel rebelled against the Lord, he responded by giving them over to their enemies for chastening. The Bible says he sold them. <laughs> That's the term. Uh, those words mean that he turned them over to them. To give, them give them up to the, their enemies. In other words, the Lord abandoned them to the life they chose for themselves. You want to choose that life? Well, go right ahead. Let's see what it does for you. And so they and their loved ones paid a terrible price for their rebellion. And the condition of the nation is really described in Judges 5, verse 6 and 7. Look at the Judges 5 there in verse number 6. It says, In the days of Shamgar, that's that last fellow that was mentioned in the previous chapter, okay? The one that, that uh, went against the Philistines. And his days... This, uh, in, the days of, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath... In the days of Jael, uh, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased, and they ceased in Israel, until that I, Deborah, arose, and I arose a mother in Israel. So, um, the condition of the, of the nation described there, they were literally driven from the highways and their homes, um, it was kind of desolate, and there's still a high price in our day and time to pay for disobedience to the will of the Lord. When you choose uh, your way, I should say when we choose our own ways over His ways, when we choose to follow other gods instead of Him, and make no mistake, we can have other gods. Anything that you put before the Lord can become a god. If you put, the, put it before the Lord, it's before the Lord. <laughs> and so we can expect whenever we choose uh, other things instead of Him, we can expect His displeasure, and He will send His chastisement. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Thou shalt consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Back during Moses' day, they were given a warning that, hey, listen, 
God will chasten you. He, he will. Consider that he'll chasten you just like a, uh, a, a, somebody chastens their son. I don't know how many of you got chastened when you were coming up. I did. Amen. Now, it wasn't real pleasant when I was going through that. I'm glad for it now. Uh, but at the time, you know, it, I kind of had a little bit of attitude about it. Um, but help us, may, God, may the Lord help us not to get an attitude toward Him. Uh, there's a section, I'm not going to turn it to read it tonight for sake of time, but Hebrews chapter number 12, verses 6 through 11, uh, talk about uh, uh, the chastening of the Lord. And it begins, Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Whom the Lord loveth. And uh, even Revelation 3.19, when the Lord was uh, rebuking the church at Laodicea, He told them, uh, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Aren't you glad that the Lord loves us? He loves us uh, better than to leave us in the condition of, of being in sin. He won't leave us there without bringing something to make us miserable and want to get out of that condition. We find in Judges 4 verse 3 there that the, the king of Canaan mightily oppressed them. Okay, He mightily, the very last part of verse 3 that we read, the 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. Now, uh, think about it, 20 years. Uh, the term mightily oppressed means to push, to oppress, to torment with strength of force. They were basically overwhelmed with the force of what came against them. Now you remember the first cycle of oppression was for eight years. Second cycle of oppression was for 18 years, 10 more years. Well, this adds two more years. You've got 20 years this time. The length of their chastening appears to be tied to how long it took them to cry out to the Lord in confession and repentance. You know, I, I, they just didn't cry out to the Lord <laughs> until the end there, and they began to cry out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them. Uh, it says there in verse number 3, the first part, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he, uh, he's talking about uh, um, the uh, Sisera. He had 900 chariots of iron, and so uh, let's think about this. You know, um, we're to cry out to the Lord. Uh, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen shared it last week. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And we we find ourselves in a cycle of uh, we don't know really know what's going on. If we take a look at. Uh, Take a look at it, close look at our lives and realize that, hey, uh, I need to shore up this area of my life. Well, it's time to confess and forsake, isn't it? Again, I stress the importance of keeping short accounts with the Lord when we disobey. We must quickly come to our senses, confess and forsake, and get back to God. So after 20 years, which that's a long time to waste, isn't it? 20 years of them being mightily oppressed, we see the supplication. There in the first part, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. We might wonder what was the final straw that caused them to cry out to the Lord. Was it personal fleshly suffering and sorrow? Was it the seeing their families affected? Was it uh, how it affected their livelihood, their finances? 
Was it the weight of all these things together? Well, the scripture tells us it was the 900 chariots of iron. It appears that they gave it their best shot over 20 years to try to if they could see if they could come up with something to go against the 20, the, those, chariots, those 900 chariots of iron. But uh, over a 20-year period, they finally realized they weren't going to be able to defeat 900 chariots of iron on their own. That is, they weren't, able, uh, they weren't going to be able to do it in the power of their flesh. Their flesh had failed them, and they finally realized they needed the Lord. They needed Him. Um, Jabin possessed a, a powerful army anchored by 900 chariots of iron. The, the helpless armies of Israel appeared to, were no match for this enemy, and especially since it appears that uh, they were lacking in shields and weapons according to what we read there in Judges 5 in verse number 8. Okay. Um, so we see they cried to the Lord. And then next we see, we see uh, the Savior, the Deliverer. And we find that in verses 4 through 24, but we're, we're only going to deal with some of these verses tonight. Here we find the, the special ministry of Deborah. Uh, we see Deborah's position. Look at, let's read verses 4 and 5. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah. So I mean, this is a place where she would do her judging. Um, she was known to be there. And so it got to be called the palm tree of Deborah because that's where she could be found uh, to do that between Ramah and Bethel. Uh, in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So uh, we see, let's go ahead and read, uh, well, we, we'll stop right there. Okay, we, we see Deborah's position here. The Bible is very clear. Deborah was both a prophetess and a judge. Her name means bee, as in a bzzz, bee, you know, honeybee. Um, Scripture shows she was busy as a bee. Uh, but uh, Matthew Henry says that her very name suggests the work of a bee. She was industrious, sharp perception. She had discernment. She had great usefulness, uh, sweetness to her friends, and sharpness to her enemies. Um, the word prophetess suggests that she had the ability to discern the mind and purpose of the Lord and declare it to others. I mean, she didn't, when she was judging Israel, she didn't judge with her own personal, well, this is what I think. No, that wasn't it. It's what, what, what does the Lord have to say about this? Um, Deborah is not, only the, not the only prophetess mentioned in the Scriptures. Others include Miriam in Exodus 15.20, a lady by the name of Huldah in 2 Kings 22.14 that we saw when we were going through Second uh, Kings, Anna in Luke chapter number two in the story of Christ uh, after his birth, and then the four daughters of Philip in Acts twenty one nine. Now understand that there's no contradiction between this fact and the fact that God only uses men today in particular offices: the office of bishop, elder, or pastor. It's very it's limited. I didn't come up with that. Okay? It's in God's Word. 
1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm not going to take time to read it, but you, if you have a doubt, it, it tells us it's men. <laughs> Husband of one wife. Uh, and uh, then also the office of deacon in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. So the two offices that the Lord gave to the church, um, uh, they are only uh, applicable to men. God had his hand, though, on these women, poured out his truth out on them in an age when there was not uh, a complete Bible. There was no complete Bible at this time in this age. And I thank God that we've got a complete Bible. And God does not, we know that God does not call in the, in the New Testament. Uh, we'll have you turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 2 for just a brief minute here. Give you something to consider. God uses women in a great way. Uh, it, our churches would be really, really in bad shape. And I'll say more about this next week uh, if it wasn't for women in our uh, in church. Um, but what we see in 1 Timothy 2 um, tells us that God does not call women to places that usurp authority over men. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8 and he talks about men first here. I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. In other words they're, they're to draw attention to the Lord in their life through their good works rather than uh, being drawn, uh, having the attention drawn to their, their good looks and, and what they put on. That's, the, that's what I gather from that. Okay? But look at verse 11 and 12. But let the woman, woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Talking about teaching over a man or usurping authority over a man. And so... Um, it says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, and notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with, with sobriety. Um, but that's in our day and time. Okay, The word judged lets us know that Deborah settled disputes among the people of Israel. In verse number 5, there... Um, Chapter number four, verse number five, and back in Judges, and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Specifically, they were coming to her for judge judgment, and the Lord gave her the wisdom to be able to do that. And we'll see that the reason why the Lord gave her the judgment. Uh, uh, the Lord used her in a very real way as a judge to deliver his people from bondage and oppression brought on by their sin because it appears that no man was willing to do it. Okay, No man was willing to do take and be, be the one to say, we need to do this and go do it. And uh, The Lord told her that it needed to be done and she went to Barak, and we'll see that next week. She went... Went there and, uh, well, well, we'll see a little bit of it right here. Look at verse number 6. Verse number 6. And she, she sent and called Barak, the, the son of Abinoam, out of Kedesh Naphtali, 
and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee three thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and of the children of Zebulun, and I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera. He was going to draw Sisera in, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. <laughs> um, but we see Deborah's prophecy there. Deborah received a word from the Lord, and so she called Barak to take 10,000 men and to go, go to war with the enemy. This is what the Lord said. And the Lord promised to defeat Sisera. Uh, the Lord promised a great victory if they would simply trust him and go to war. But Barak was not going to have anything of it unless Deborah went with him. We see Deborah's problem there in, in verse number 8 and 9. Um, of course, we read verse 8, but verse 9 says, She said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. In other words, uh, don't think that you're going to get any glory out of this, Barak. <laughs> for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And we'll see that woman. It's the other woman we mentioned earlier. It's not going to be Deborah. But uh, Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kedesh. So, Deborah had a word from the Lord. She shared that word with Barak and found that Barak was reluctant to follow um, that word. He was willing to go to battle, but only if Deborah would go with him. She agreed to go, but told him that since he depended on a woman, the Lord was going to use a woman to take out Sisera. And uh, Barak's reluctance really shows the sad state of the men of Israel. Nevertheless, we see him used of the Lord. In fact, uh, don't understand this, you know. But Barak's mentioned in Hebrews 11, but Deborah's not. So that's not fair. I didn't do it, okay? But it's just the way it is. Um, we're going to put up a stake right there, and Lord willing, we'll come back next time. And we'll see more about this battle that took place and how the Lord used Deborah, Barak, as well as a woman by the name of Jael. Jael's going to take a hammer and she's going to drive a nail right through Sisera's head. <laughs> Talk about a headache. Yeah. Um, well, she was used to driving nails. I'll just give you that. Yeah. Women put up the tents during that day. And uh, she took a tent stake, drove it in the, into his skull. So, amen. Some woman, eh? Wouldn't want to get cross with her. All right. That's our Bible study for this evening. Um, let's pull out our prayer list and uh, we'll pray for the needs and be dismissed with this prayer.